Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. And my friend, the most beautiful man in the world, Pepper Sweeney. I just don't even know what to do with you. <laughs> what? what to do with me? Yes. I, what do you mean? We are here to discover I, just, and I'm explore. Just, I'm, dude, I'm, what it just, means I'm just to be I'm, truly I'm just, known. I'm just calling it like I Did see it. Did you have it. something you wanted okay. to say? I've said it. <laughs> so we are uh, we are completing our season six today with what we're mm-hmm. calling questions and reflections. This season being on wisdom. And Kurt, thank you for leading us through this season. I have discovered that I, you know, the one thing that I, that shows that maybe I am wiser than I thought is I don't think I'm wise. Mm. So, mm. so we do have some questions from you folks that you've sent in through social media and things. And so I want to jump into those a little bit. The first question is, someone is asking us if you, Kurt, will talk about trauma, healing, wisdom, and post-traumatic growth. <laughs> well. Right out of the gate. Well, you know, I, I think... Um, one thing I would say about this is that trauma experienced in so many different ways. And, we, and we've, we've talked about that in a previous season. And I think one of the things that is true uh, when we find ourselves kind of discovering like, oh my gosh, there are these things that have happened to me. And I'm aware of the symptoms, if you will, the symptoms I'm having in response to this. And we, you know, symptoms, that may not be the most helpful word, but you know, it's it's the experiences that I have in my family of origin when I, as an adult, when I go back home, uh, in which I feel all kinds of things that make me feel uncomfortable, or it's what's coming up at my job, or it's the thing, I, I, all all the neuropsychiatric things, whether it's depression or anxiety, all these things that happen, and when we start to kind of put, you know, connect the dots between experiences of trauma and these and and these symptoms that I'm having. There is a certain urgency that comes over us. Like I, I really, I feel the urgent need to resu- to resolve this as quickly as possible because it starts to feel overwhelming. Mm. And I think that uh, one of the first things that I would say is that in, in the same in the same spirit with which I often wonder why hasn't God done done more to change me sooner? Why why is He taking so long? Mm-hmm. I ask that question because of the depth and the urgency with which I, in the desperation with which I long to change. And uh, I think that one of the things that we learn about the process of becoming people of wisdom is that there is a particular pace at which this happens that is not nearly as fast as we would like it to be. It's kind of like you can't make the earth spin on its axis any faster than it does simply by running. You know, it's like we're all going to get on the street and we're going to run together and somehow our our running is going to move the earth more quickly because the earth's mass is just too big for us to be able to do that. And I think it's fair to say that our lives and the significance that our lives carry, the significance, the density and the weight of our lives, and therefore the trauma that we experience is not going to be something that we can just quickly move. Like we can't move the earth that quickly just by getting out in the street and running faster in a different direction just to 
make it go faster. We're not going to be able to do that. And at first glance, we hear that and we say, oh my gosh, that's just so discouraging. And what I would want us to hear is that the reason that we can't is because God is really serious about being thorough. Which means if we're going to be thorough about anything, I'm going to have to take my time. I'm going to have to pause, take a breath, and observe all the things. And to practice observing the things about my own life, observing those things without condemnation. And inviting others into that space of trauma. And I'm going to have to practice telling my story again and again and again. Such that I can be loved in that moment that I'm recounting over and over and over again to the point where that moment now is remembered by me in a very different way. Because you are now with me in it. It's not just me as a 12 or 15 or 17 year old in it by myself alone with my abusive uncle or my angry alcoholic dad or the boss or whoever. I'm now being seen, soothed, safe, secure by someone else who's actually for me, with me in that regard. And I would like, you know, I'd like Pepper to be able to tell you a story about my life. And like in 20 minutes, it's just done. I tell you, you are compassionate. You like, I, I sense your empathy. I take that in. And then like that story that I've just told you, like, now I can I can think about it going forward, and it doesn't phase me at all. I because I just had to do it in one time, but that's because we are just not nearly as aware of how big a deal our own lives are, and therefore how much practice it takes for me to allow someone to love that same part of my story over and over and over again, like. You know, it's it's the, we say it's the difference between a surgical repair of something that takes place in two hours and a physical rehabilitation of something that takes six months. Yeah, I right, mean, I'm going to go to if if I've learned anything from you, it's this work takes time and yeah. commitment, and it's not just easy. It's not mm-hmm. quick. Mm-hmm. It's not, mm-hmm. you know, what did you say? Three millimeters a day? Was that the, the amount? Yeah, two millimeters per two day, millimeter. right? Two millimeters per day. Yeah. Is, right. Yeah. Right. And so therefore, I think, you know, our listeners, we, we, can, we can hear these podcasts and we can think, oh, uh, what, am, what am I, Kurt, or what, what am I, Sheila or James or whoever, is it, what, what am I going to do about this? I think it also reminds us that, you know, when we read the book of Proverbs, when we read, when we talk about the wisdom literature, that was literature that was read in a community. These are people who came to memorize these texts. They would gather at a synagogue and they would repeat these texts or they would be read and these people would know these and they would be looking at each other as they are recounting lady wisdom, calling to them. They're not just, Lady Wisdom isn't just calling to me, Kurt. She's calling to you and me and Amy all together in the same room at the same time. And so we are collectively wanting to do this. We are collectively wanting to slow my pace to be able to receive the loving kindness that I need for my healing to take place. And, you know, it's, 
we we've you know we've appealed to the folks at the Bible Project who talk about Ken, you know Tim Mackey talks about this notion that so many times a day we are making choices between the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and bad. The tree of life is one in which I'm receiving by God's gifting what it means for me to come to a place of knowing good from bad, but by receiving and by it taking a long time. It doesn't happen quickly. But with the tree of the knowledge of good and bad, I'm just going to take, I'm going to take quickly. I'm going to do so in response to this wound that I've received in this conversation with the snake that we would call temptation. That it's not just, you know, it's not as if the snake just points something out to the woman that the woman's never seen before. There is a test, and included in that test is a certain wound. But the wound is very different from the wound that took place one page earlier, where God wounds Adam when he puts him to sleep, takes a rib, like, you know, it's not like Star Trek, where you can just kind of like magically do it without breaking the skin. Right. But the intention, in the second chapter of Genesis, the intention of the wound is for creating beauty and goodness. The intention of the serpent's wound of the woman is to destroy her. And so when I am wounded, my response is to like take something quickly on my own that is good, it's beautiful to the eye, it will give me wisdom quickly, Mm -hmm. and I can be in charge of that process. You know, I think about our relationship, and I think about it. It has been. It didn't just happen overnight. I mean, there, the, the, the the three of us, you and me, and, and Amy included. And I know that you have friends in Cincinnati that you're close with, and these guys that I meet with on Tuesday mornings for almost thirty years. Like it's a long, you know, it's 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 Nietzsche, but through other people's eyes, it's a long obedience in the same direction. And wisdom is acquired largely through our wounding hmm. and then having to face tests in the in response to those wounds. And so even when we come to our experience of trauma, we want to name those traumas in the presence of others in order for us to be seen, soothed, safe, and made secure, and to take the risk of turning my attention away from my trauma as I'm turning my attention toward the voice and the face and the embodiment of those who are loving me. Mm-hmm. That takes a long time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that particular question, speaking of doing things in community, and, and that particular question came out of the Being Known discussion group that is uh, on Facebook. And um, mm. one of our listeners early on, Bethany Boring, um, reached out to us and asked if she could start this group. And we said, sure. Mm. You know, and I want to say that I have... I stop in there once in a while and just, you know, look at some of the things they're posting and how they're talking to each other. And it's really beautiful. And people mm. are connecting mm. in there and um, doing this work and, you know, forming some some communities there that really seem to be living out a lot of what we're talking about on the podcast. Mm. And if anybody wants to join that group, they can just go to Facebook and look up uh, Being Known Discussion Group. And you mm. can request to be uh, accepted as a member and I think they'd love to have you, and uh, we mm-hmm. really appreciate, you know, how they're living it out in there. Mm-hmm. So uh, the mm-hmm. other thing that I would recommend for this particular question is to go back to season four, which we did a full season on trauma, and mm-hmm. um, revisit that. There's there's some some great stuff in 
in that season that I think could be helpful. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's another one. Proverbs 1 seems to explain that God's grace only holds out for so much foolishness. What is your insight into repeated patterns of sin and repentance in the life of a believer in relationship to verses such as this and many others that seem to speak of conditional grace? When does God's response look more like Proverbs 1, 28, 33 and less like the forgiveness extended to the lost? Well, it's a great question, and uh, there's a lot of places that we could go, you know, theologically, practically, mm-hmm. and so forth. In some respects, we could say there's, there's, you know, that the very fundamentally, from a theological standpoint, there has been from the early church forward, there's been great debate about the whole notion of like, well, what does it mean for, what does, what does wisdom suggest in terms of, you know, when, when Jesus says to Peter, when he asks Jesus, how many times do I forgive? Seven times. And Jesus says, no, 70 times seven. And it's, he's not giving the number of 490. It's like, an, and then, and then 491, bub, you're done. Right. You're, you're out. You're done. I've run out at this point. I'm just you get 490 yeah. chances. Yeah. 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 No, he's the, the hyperbole in Jesus' comment is really he's, he's what he's saying to to Peter is um, the the mission is for you to become a living, breathing, pulsating body of forgiveness. But to forgive is different than trusting. Those aren't the same things. Hmm. To live with a posture of I'm not going to. For, for, we would say in in the language of interpersonal neurobiology and in others have said this that the that to forgive is really to no longer hold someone else responsible for your emotional well-being. I'm no longer going to hold you responsible. Something might have you might have done something to me 20 years ago and I'm still cooking that story in my head cuz I'm going back and that thing you did or didn't do and I I'm, I'm replaying that. I'm telling that story. I'm holding you responsible for my as right. opposed to actually I'm no longer going to do that. I'm Now, if you were to Say, hey, Kurt, I, I, if that person were to come and say, hey, I would, I would love to, like, you know, do this or do that with you. I would say, well, gosh, you know, I'm not holding you responsible for my emotional well-being, but neither am I going to work with you. Because there are other things that have not taken place that would lead me to feel like I can trust you. So I'm not going to, unless other things were, were to happen to set. And so those are, those, are, those are different things. So I think practically speaking, we, we, would, we, we say the, the same thing about a lot of things. Right, I mean, this is true about what does wisdom suggest parents do when their children continue to act in certain ways, especially as they're adult children or older kids who are living in their house. Like, how many times can you bring pot into my house before I call the police? I mean, and I, it's not like we can answer that question here today, but I'm, I'm simply saying that wisdom also invites us to recognize that uh, limits, boundaries are an important part of what it means for us to love one another. Hmm. I mean, this was, again, Genesis 3. God is saying, you can eat from any tree, except one. And the world is such that if you choose to go down a certain path, uh, what you're doing is you are walking away from heaven on earth. You're walking away. I'm I'm not sending you out. I'm not, like, I just want, this is the way the world has been organized. 
And we would also say that we we live in a culture. This is, I mean, our our kind of we bring to the texts all kinds of cultural influences that are shaping things. I mean, we we live in a culture now that uh, more than ever, you know, we we use language like "I don't feel safe." We use language like "I feel offended." We use all kinds of language like this in which uh, we demonstrate our fragility. We are putting our fragility on full display, and I expect everything outside of my skin to accommodate me in order for me to be okay. I, I shouldn't, I don't have to do any work in this regard, and there's going to be no, I, I expect no consequence. This is how a lot of our cultural expressions are now being lived out. Now, not all of them. If you're running 75 in a 55-mile-an-hour zone, state police tro- troops, they, they typically have no problem pulling you over. And most of the time, most people are more than happy to comply and pull over when the blue lights go on. And you're pretty likely to comply when the bill for the 120 bucks comes, or maybe $300 comes. Like we, so there are certain ways in which, like, as it turns out, yes, there are limits. There are ways in which, like, say, like, yeah, you can't keep doing that. There will be a consequence for your keeping. Leslie Newbegin, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, The Light Has Come, just provides powerful insight, I think, and has, I've, I found it to be really helpful in his describing how the words of Jesus are very clear, that there is a limit, there is a time limit to where all this, where all this is going to go. And so, and, and, and there, there would be those who would debate this theologically there, and, and, that, are, that are way above my pay grade. I'm, I'm not in a position to you know, debate universal, universal salvation and all those kinds of things. For me, it, it boils down more to, and, and this is what happens in our confessional communities, I think we find, that we, we, we have to answer this question frequently in very practical here and now, like when I go home kind of terms. And we ask the question, well, what do you want? What do you want with your spouse? What do you want with your child? What do you want with your, you know, your parents? You know, you're the, you're the adult child who has parents who behave badly still in their 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. And it's a matter of saying, this is what I, this is what I want. And not selfishly, this is what I want. I, I want to live a flourishing life. I want to I live honorably before my parents, for instance, right? This whole notion of the fifth command. I'm going to live honorably before my parents. And in order for me to do that, I'm going to have to say, uh, no, I won't be coming home for Thanksgiving this year because when I do, you treat me and you treat my children in ways that are really unhelpful. Now, if you want to have a conversation about that, I, I would love to do that. Because we also, you know, it's, it's, it's become kind of fashionable in some psychotherapeutic realms to, you know, if, if somebody has been hurt by their parents, just say, well, you just say no to your parents. You just say, like, I'm not having anything to do with you. Which is also not wisdom speaking. And I mean, you know, Pep, you're a parent. I mean, like you could answer that. I mean, like we, 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 we both know what it's like to have moments where we're saying, no, that's not going to work here in this house. Right. Yeah. And it's difficult because we have, we have theologies and we have a cultural milieu in which the whole notion of saying no like this is a whole John Wooden, Bill Walton interchange that we've talked about before. Mm-hmm. 
this whole notion of saying, I love you, and you may not do that here. And so if you want to do that, you'll need to find someplace else to do it. It won't be in this house, or it won't be in this relationship. And if at some point you'd like to come back and have a conversation about being in this relationship in a way that would be wise, in a way that would be one of loving kindness, like, I'm at the ready. Uh, if that's not something you want to do, then it's, then it's not going to work. But I can say that with loving kindness, and that becomes the way of wisdom, where we would say, you know, the whole notion of, of grace, was it or was it not grace when Jesus decided not to run after the rich young ruler? Apparently he, like, the rich young ruler was given an opportunity and Jesus did not chase him down. Was it or was it not grace when Jesus decided not to go back to the palace of Pilate or to Herod, or to Caiaphas after the resurrection. Jesus is coming to a place where, like, these are people who are not interested in doing the work. Right? I mean, we, we see this all the time. And he's not going to, like, go after people who are not interested in being coming come after. And uh, we have a hard time with this. We have a hard time living in the cultural milieu that we have in which it's just really important for everybody to get a trophy because we, we worry that if they don't, then they're going to feel bad. And then I don't know what to do with their bad feelings. I don't know what, it, I don't know. I don't know how to be present with someone who's feeling distressed or whatever because of their behavior as they should, because I don't know how to tolerate that. You're about to say something. No, I just, I've never, it's never dawned on me. The, uh, the fact that Jesus didn't, appear to Pilate and Caiaphas and it just never, I never thought about it. How do you, how do you rectify that with the lost sheep, with the Jesus going after the law, you know, going after the lost sheep? Well, uh, just that well, there's still hope with the lost sheep or. Well, I, I, you know, there is a sense in which in, in, in that parable, um, first of all, we're, we're talking about sheep. We're not talking about primates. We're talking about sheep. And the understanding is that sheep don't know what the heck they're doing. They don't know. And the sheep get lost, often without even being aware that they're lost. And then they fall into a ravine and then they're hurt. But when the shepherd comes, my sheep know my voice, Jesus says. Right. When the shepherd comes, the sheep becomes really aware of two things that it's lost and that it has been found. Sheep that wander off, they're, they're like, they're, they're, they're just grazing. Like they're not paying any attention to what they're doing. And when the shepherd comes for them, they suddenly recognize like the shepherd's coming because like, no, like, like none of my friends are around because like I've wandered off. And Jesus comes and the moment that he comes, the sheep recognizes that they're lost and that, like, and he's the way home. But, and, and, and so the, the point being is that, like, there are others who wander off, like, on purpose. Like, they're not sheep. They don't just, like, happen to wander off. Like, they're like, no, I don't really want to have anything more to do with this. The entire book of Hebrews, we could, I mean, like, we could do a series on this one. The entire book of Hebrews is replete. There are four sections, and after at the, these four breaks, and after each break, there is this warning and, and the writer is writing to people who have been followers of Jesus, and he's saying, and you are at risk for being lost permanently. End of, end, end, 
End of story. And of course, you know, folks who have a different theological take on this, that people, you know, everybody's going to be saved. Like, and I, you know, I, I'm not arguing that. I'm just simply saying that's not what the book of Hebrews is assuming. It's saying that, like, we have, and, and this is why, like, we often don't take ourselves that seriously. That we have the capacity to say to God, no, I'm not interested in your heaven. As in the great divorce, the character who speaks of George MacDonald, George MacDonald's character says, God sends no one to hell. People send themselves there. We wander off and on purpose, and we have no intention of going back. And at some point, God will say, and then in that same book, there's the other phrase where the same character says, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who will say to God, thy will be done, and those to whom God will say, thy will be done. And, you know, we may be hearing this and we're like, gosh, that's, that's just not very egalitarian. And yet, you know, it is important for, I'll just speak for myself. I would want to know that someone takes me seriously enough to say, you know, Kurt, there's a part of you that if you want to come into heaven, that part's not, like, that part's going to have to change. Because that tells me that somebody else takes that part seriously enough that it's not willing to just let me go quietly into the night and do whatever I please. And this is, this is difficult. And at the same time, I would say that the posture that we have about even trying to come up with the answer to this, this question, um, I would say, is often one in which we would want to say, oh, well, I wonder what is going on within us such that we're even asking this question in the first place? Right. Hmm, what am I worried about? Perhaps I'm worried about the parts of me that I worry might not be let in. Hmm. The parts of me that I can't, that I, that I feel like I continue to need grace for over and over and over again. Right. Maybe that's more to the point of what this whole part of our conversation is about. Yeah. But I'm not going to know that without somebody else being in the room helping me asking me that question such that I can bear, bring wisdom to bear on those parts of me that continually seem to want to be the sheep that wanders off over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. So, Kurt, do you remember when you were at Hope Hills Camp and they had the thing with the white pom-poms? Dude, oh my gosh. You know, the all of the volunteers line up. They, they line the side of the road, both sides of the road. And for every family that comes in, there's all this cheering, waving of pom-poms, signs, balloons, you name it. It's, I mean, the, the, the kids that are coming in have never really had anything like this. You know, to me, that's just a picture of being seen and, and allowing them to feel known in that moment. Yeah. I want to share a story about how this impacted one dad. It's, he, he wrote this into Hope Hills Camp after, just after attending the Hope Hills Camp. We have a five-year-old nonverbal son on the autism spectrum. In the world of disability, it's the little things that are the big things. The coffee was awesome. The community and stories you're, that you're helping to bring together are so, so needed. But it was the line of volunteers 
with white pom-poms that has gotten me choked up about a half a dozen times in the last couple hours. My sweet baby boy is five. He is the joy of our lives, and he has never been invited to a birthday party. Mm. He has never kicked a soccer ball the wrong way on the field and been cheered for it. Mm. We have barely even had birthday parties for him the last couple of years. But a line of strangers with pom-poms tonight, it took everything in me to hold it together. All I could do was look down at him as we walked through that line and try to avoid being a sobbing mess. Mm -hmm. For the rest of my life, it will be a moment I treasure. You know, Pep, that's just an amazingly beautiful story. And if you didn't know it already, Hope Heals Camp is a week-long retreat and year-round community offering rest, resources, and relationships to families experiencing disability. And we're very excited to be sponsoring five families to camp this summer. With your help, your tax-deductible donation will go directly to scholarshiping these families. So you can click the link in the show notes or go to hopeheals.com forward slash BKP. That's H-O-P-E-H-E-A-L-S dot com forward slash BKP and donate. Any amount is helpful. And together, we can help make a big difference. Well, you know, Kurt, one of the really most beautiful things that came out of this season is the partnership that we had with Hope Heals, Hope right Heals on. Camp. Yeah. And, you know, we're, we're sitting here today, you know, recording the final episode of season six and am, are really ecstatic to say that you, our listeners have stepped up and we are right now at 102% to our goal <laughs> of sending five families to Hope Hills Camp for this summer, mm. five families of disabilities to Hope Hills mm. Camp this summer. And so you all, we as a community are contributing to beauty mm. and wisdom that I know is going to meet people there. And, mm-hmm. and it has been, you know, so, so one of the thing is, is on the hopeheals.kindful.com backslash BKP, um, <laughs> which we'll have in the, in the show notes for you. The one thing that you can see is a list of people. Some people have remained anonymous and some people have left their name, but, and, and so many people have, have written notes um, mm. A, mm. about Hope Heals, about just the excitement of having the opportunity to be a part of this, and to see that kind of willing givingness, givingness in the community has been an inspiration to me. And um, mm. and I'm so happy that these families are going to get to go mm. because mm. of what this community has done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I as as one who had the privilege of being there for a week last year and I'm going back again this year. I mean, I like, dude, like, can you believe it? They invited me back. I can't, I can't believe it. I can it. believe it's, it. I can it's, believe it's, it. It's, it's just my wife, Phyllis and I were both there and both just overwhelmed with the generosity of spirit. I may have said this before that one of our, one of our really common experiences that we would hear uh, as people would talk about, you know, talk with us about what it's been like for them to be there at camp. And they would say, this is, 
This is a place where uh, when I come here and my child just is my child, mm-hmm. they, they kind of do what they do. It's the one place where my child kind of will do their thing and nobody looks around at us like there's something wrong. And they and, and and they would talk about how like we had to kind of get used to it because like they their like or their kid would do something they'd have a tantrum they'd have this they'd have that whatever might happen and they would say like we would like we would there would be that bracing for impact that we that we would typically have if we were at Safeway or for someplace else and we look around and like it just isn't coming or beyond that someone would immediately walk up and say hey can we be of help. How can we help? Is there a way for us to, like, kind of like, like this, this notion of hospitality? And you, you know, you think of the images in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospels, where Jesus talks about there was a, there was a, a wealthy person who prepared a feast, and he said to his servants, "I want you to go out and ask. I've got, I've got invited guests, the ones that we would expect to be at the White House state dinner. And as it turns out, they're busy." And eventually he says, I want you to go everywhere you can. And I want you to bring everybody in. People who would never even think about, to think that they would ever be able to come to a place like this. And uh, I, I'm, I'm just, it's, it, it uh, feels such like an honor that we also know Jay and Catherine. Jay and Catherine, yeah. And it feels like we've been on the, you know, we were kind of, at least kind of as we were present with them and watching this kind of, watching from the ground floor mm-hmm. up, watching this develop. And I mean, like, dude, like this is kingdom of God, like in Alabama. <laughs> yeah. Right there, right there in a camp, man. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's thrilling that we made this goal. If you are hearing this and you feel compelled, you know, we don't have a ceiling on it just because we're at 102 yeah. percent, right? Um, and we will have in the show notes that uh, hopeheals.kindful.com link so that you can go and um, and even if you even if you don't particularly feel you know the need to give the, those just reading some of the comments and things in there is um, is worthy of your time. Mm. Um, we have had an amazing season this season, Kurt, mm. and. Um, mm. You know, I appreciate that having the opportunity to have a relationship with you that that helps me to experience wisdom, mm-hmm. um, helps me to understand areas in my life where I need to grow um, and mm-hmm. and learn. And also, you know, as I've said so many times, you know, that, that the relationship that, you know, I've been able to take with me even when you're not physically in the room with me. And I'm going to lean on your wisdom when I feel like I am lacking. So I appreciate you. Right. Appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Thanks. And we have a, another couple of questions that we'll answer with Amy when she comes on here, if you are watching on YouTube. In the meantime, um, this has been a great season. Thanks, Kurt. Yeah. I love you. Thanks, and man. Love you. We will be back with season seven. Season seven. Once we figure out what it's going to be. <laughs> Bring it on. <laughs> Bring it on. All right. All love right. You, Kurt. All right. Love you. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, 
Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.